Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight and you'll find Matthew 22, I just want to begin by saying, I really thought the most embarrassing thing as a pastor is to stand up here and mispronounce names. But what I found out tonight, the most embarrassing thing about being in church, is when the minister of music says, would you please stand and worship with us? And you realize that you're already standing. And uh, I don't know what I was doing when I got in here, Jamie. And I wish I could tell you it was spiritual. But if you want to know the truth, I was honestly thinking, I hope my children behave for their mother tonight. That's what was going through my mind. And so uh, those are the words you don't want to hear. Please stand and worship with us when you're... So anyway, I don't know what I was doing, but I wanted to apologize for... I was, I, was, I was thinking about not having to spank them kids at some point tonight. That's what I was thinking about. But a month ago, when we met on Sunday night, after having a few weeks off, we started a series called, Do You Have a Heart Problem? Tonight, I want to continue that, Do You Have a Heart Problem, Part 2. Tonight, I want to talk to you about a cold heart and a hard heart. You say, Jake, both of those are the same thing. I would disagree. And tonight, I want to show you that. And some examples of that is, a hard heart is when you struggle to see the good in anyone. A cold heart is when you have been hurt by people and are terrified to forgive, terrified to open up. Same thing at church. As a hard heart is when you refuse to have anything to do with the church, where you ignore the church, whether you speak bad about the church. And a cold heart is when you have loved the church and been hurt by the church. A cold heart is when you uh, do not care if God blesses people or if you ever have to be around people again. A hard heart is when you go out of your way to make someone miserable or to feel like they don't matter. You say, Jake, those are very close. Yes, they are. But tonight I want to really clarify that because the question that I would ask you tonight is, do you have a heart problem? And tonight on a Sunday night, most of us have been in church so long that we would immediately say, no, I'm not cold-hearted to those that I disagree with. I don't avoid people that I don't like. I don't purposely do these things. In our minds, we tell ourselves that. But if we were to evaluate the evidence, I would say that there is a coldness that can set in in all of us. There is a time when we can be hurt, when we can be challenged, when we can be in a difficult spot where we don't go to a place of a hard heart, but we begin to grow cold. The danger and difficulty between a cold heart and a hard heart is eventually a cold heart freezes over. And when it freezes over, it becomes hard. That's why this week I was reading a study about the amount of people who have stopped going to church during COVID, and the amounts of people who have never came back. It started with fear, the fear of their health. And for many, that is a real fear. But it began to become something that church did not just matter. And then after a season, for some of them, it wasn't that church just didn't matter. They did not think that the church cared about them. And so what began as a, I'm going to worry about my health, I'm going to step back for a season, began to be, it's easier not to go, it's easier to watch online, it's much better to watch David Jeremiah, and I agree with you, I'd much rather listen to David Jeremiah than myself, I'd much rather listen to Dr. Robert Jeffers of First Baptist Dallas, I get it, but there is something about being together, 
with God's people. And when the people of God are together, how the Spirit of God works. The Spirit of God lives in each and every believer. And He works in each and every believer. But there is also something that God has done through a local church. Where you and I, as we pray together, as we worship together, as we correct each other, as we encourage each other, the Spirit of God works in a special way. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells us, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves as some have. Some people say it's just because churches want big numbers and they want lots of people here. I preach the same whether there is 12 or 200. Why? Because the preaching is important and the fellowship is important and the worship is important. And what God does with a group of people matters. And so tonight I want to show you three things that Jesus talks about that you should think about in your own life to decide whether you are on fire for God, whether you have grown cold, or you have hardened your heart. You say, Jake, what does that matter tonight? It matters because things can survive when they are cold, but things do not survive when they are frozen over. If you've ever watched a movie about a plane wreck or a shipwreck or anything that involves a wreckage in a cold area, it's always a rescue that is dependent upon the time. There's only so much time before the heat runs out, the gasoline runs out, and once that cold temperature becomes freezing, it becomes death. And friends, I believe that Baptist churches do not die because of the reasons that most people do. I believe it starts when God's people grow cold. Not always to the things of God, but to each other. To what God is trying to do. And then that coldness breeds a heart of ice. A hard heart that sucks the life and joy out of a church. You looked there with me last month when we looked in chapter 22 and we looked at the parable of the wedding feast. But then last time we were together, Jesus is asked the question about who is it lawful to pay taxes to? And how do you recognize the government? And really, the context of that is not about the government. It's not about money. It's about the heart. The heart behind the question. And so tonight, as we look at these three things very briefly tonight, I want you to ask yourself, how do I deal with what God is trying to do in my life? The first thing we see tonight is that Jesus clarifies his power. And tonight I want you to think about the power of God in your life. Is it something you want? Is it something that you're glad you've had? Is it something that you've never experienced? Is it something that you do not want God to work and move in your life because you're afraid of what he would do? And so let's just read what these religious leaders of the day asked Jesus starting in verse 23. The same day the Sadducees who were there, who say there is no resurrection came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there was with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they have all had her. And Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, 
but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. This is a verse that most people really struggle with, especially if you've been married a long time. You say, well, pastor, I want to be married in heaven. Well, I believe you're not given in marriage. I believe that marriage is different in heaven. But I still believe that you know who that person is. You know the memories, the joy, all of those love and emotions that you have experienced. And what we see here also is another misconception that people believe they become angels. You've heard it all the time. I've got an angel watching over me when grandma died or grandpa died or a sibling died. The Bible never teaches that God's people become angels. What he says here is we become like angels, that we are not worried about procreating. We're not worried about extending the human race. That is a gift that God has gave us, the ability to procreate and to continue the human race. So what is this really about? If it's not about discouraging people from getting married, it's not about discouraging people, it is about the fact that these men, these religious leaders, did not believe that God could raise the dead. They did not believe that God had power over the death. They had a faith that was based all about logic and what you could do and not the miraculous power of God. And this night, tonight I want you to know this, that many times in churches we get to the point where we do not believe in the miraculous power of God. We stop praying for healings, we stop praying for salvation, we stop praying for God to work and move. But I don't know about you, but I have some people that I love very, very much that are in need of a miraculous touch from God. Whether it's a physical healing, we have a church member uh, that's in the hospital right now that's got some terrible health news, and he needs a touch from God. God needs to reach down and do what only God can do. I have members in my own family that if they were to die tonight, they would die and split hell wide open. I have relationships with people that if God does not reach down and change their heart and my heart, I could care less if I ever spoke to them again. You say, preacher, I can't believe you said that. It's true. And tonight, you and I have to get back to a point where whether it's the resurrection of the dead, whether it's the salvation of the lost, whether it's the healing of the sick, the repairing of the broken, we serve a God who is able. And friends, tonight, if you get to a point where you try to put God in a box and God can't do this and God can't do that, God won't do this and God won't work here, friends, you have done exactly what this group of religious leaders have done. And friends, that's dangerous because Jesus clarifies and says, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. And tonight, this is really important because what we see is two things that God wants you to listen and believe to. One, it is the scripture, the authority of what we do and what we say and what we believe. But also that the power of God works hand in hand through the word of God and is acknowledged by the word of God. And so tonight I want to ask you, how do you deal with the power of God? Tonight are you just cold? Hey, I came to church, the sermon was fairly short, the music wasn't real long, I got out of here by 1128 this morning, that's a wonderful Sunday. Or did you leave here thinking, man, I really wish somebody would have got saved this morning. 
Man, I really wish somebody would have stood up and said, you know what, I've been running from God, I'm a prodigal, but I'm here today to rededicate my life to the Lord. Maybe someone would stand up and say, Pastor, we were headed to the divorce lawyer tomorrow, but the Spirit of God has dealt with both of us, and we're going to make it work. We're in counseling with someone other than you, so it might work. That's maybe, just maybe we would get back to a place where we get up on Sunday morning. It's not, can I check this off the list? But I'm looking forward to what God's going to do, how God's going to speak, how God's going to work. Because, friends, we've grown cold to the things of God. And that's how it starts. But, friends, it doesn't stay there. Either God will revive a church or God will revive a person. Or, friends, he will allow that coldness to become hard. You see, then it becomes things like this. Can you believe that he preached on that topic again? Can you believe Jamie sang that song for the third week in a row? Do you know that my Sunday school teacher has told that same example for nine weeks in a row? I don't care about his big fluffy cat. I'm tired of it. You see, there goes a coldness and there becomes a hardness to what God can do. Well, my gosh, we got out of church late today because seven people got saved. And I was trying to get out, and they just kept witnessing to people and kept praying with people. And I, I got places to be and people to see. Now, I don't believe in dragging out a sermon. I don't believe in repeating myself over and over again. And some of you are going, I don't think you listen to your sermons. But friends, I'm telling you, we've got to get back to saying, I want to see God do something on Sunday morning. I want to see God send us people that we would have never even imagined could come here. They don't look like us. They don't talk like us. They don't think like us. But the power of God has changed their life. And they're just here to worship God. See, that's not how I come to church most Sundays. Most Sunday mornings I come, I've prayed, I'm ready, I'm excited. But the first thing I'm usually thinking, if you want to know the truth, is, well, I wonder what excuses I'm going to hear today why someone's not there. That's the first thing that goes through my mind sometimes. And then I think, well, I can't wait to get to church because someone's going to be unhappy about something. But I, I, I'm thankful because I know God can show up. And he will show up. If God's people, we will do what he's asked us to do. Then I begin to ask myself, I wonder if anybody prayed this week for the sermon, for the music. I, I wonder if anybody prayed this week. Spent some time fasting, seeking God. Really that he would show up and show out. And then the internal optimist that I am, that's not true. I'm thinking, well, maybe five. Maybe five people prayed for it. And the Lord has to remind me, Jake, what are you doing? I can work and I can move and I can heal and I can deliver and I can do these things. You've just got to believe that I can. And so today I want to ask you that question. Are you just cold or do you refuse the things of God? Do you hate the things of God? Not outwardly, but internally. Second thing I want to show you tonight is Jesus clarifies his power. The second is Jesus clarifies what matters. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest 
commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You see, Jesus is telling them this is what it's all about. All of the rules and rituals and, and things in the Old Testament that the Pharisees had, had encompassed and focused on, that you can't walk so many days on Sabbath and you can't do this on Sunday and you can't do this and you can't wear this. He said all of it is just summed up in these two. To love God with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now I want to just preface this by saying I know that People have taken judge not and love others as yourself to be excuses for everything. Right? You want to be a homosexual? Love your neighbor. Got to love it. No, you don't have to love it. We hate sin. You, you know, you want to be a liar and you want to cheat people and you want to steal in business? Got to love your enemy. Got to love people. That's true. But you don't love the sin. You don't love what's going on. And you recognize that if that person doesn't repent and turn from their sins, God will judge them forever. So how do we look at this from what Jesus says? The first is, do you really love God with all that you are? We've all been in church long enough to know that the answer should be yes. And we want the answer to be yes. But all of us struggle with something. You say, Jake, I've been a Christian so long, this verse is not a problem for me. I would love for you to know this, that you are probably not honest with yourself. Because sometimes it's your heart that gives you away. Sometimes it's hurt. Sometimes it's broken. Sometimes it's just wore out from all of the caring that you've done for other people. And if you're here tonight and you've never been heartbroken because of someone, friends, you have shut yourself off to other people. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's church family. Sometimes it's the people that you work with. And so even though we know that we're to love God and love other people, there's hurt. And what about your soul? Your soul of who you are spiritually that revolves and focuses on God. It can become weary. You go through trials and tribulations in this life and you sometimes ask God, why? Why did it happen to me? Why did it happen to my family? I've tried to do what you've wanted me to do. God, I've tried to be faithful. I've tried to be true. But yet I didn't think it worked out the way that it should. Sometimes your soul grows weary. And then the third one, with all your mind. We looked at that this morning about the transforming of your mind. Satan knows that everything that goes into you affects you. It deals with you. It changes you. That's why if you are like me and you sit around and you listen to someone talk and that person has things in their vocabulary that should not be in your vocabulary, before I'm done, when I'm listening, I'm thinking about the words that they have said. I remember when I first got saved, and I had a terrible, terrible mouth. It was filthy. It was vulgar. And I can remember after God saved me and changed me and forgave me, that I'd hear someone say one of those words, and I'd go, Oh, man, that's ugly. It's kind of like when you first quit smoking and you realize that it does stink. I didn't realize that when I smoked. I loved it. That's just the way it was. But then you realize, whoo, man, if you're going to ride in my car, don't light it up, right? Don't want that. But that's the same way. But friends, how many times now, the longer we're saved and the more we listen to it and the more we grow accustomed to it, that it doesn't bother us at all. You see, the mind can be pulled from a focus on God by the problems of this world. It was evident tonight. I literally was thinking, 
All right, I think my kids are going to be good. I hope they're good for their mom. They've had a long week. I, I, you know, I think it's going to be good. And I walked right in here and walked right over there and just stood there. I just stood there. Why? Because instead of thinking about Jesus, I was literally thinking about that which was stressing me out the most. And that's pretty insignificant in the greater scheme of things. Now, you'll talk about how my kids can't behave on church on Sunday night, but that's the typical thing. But how many people come in here tonight with things on their mind that have overwhelmed them? Tonight, maybe you're here and you want to hear about Jesus, but all you can think about is that prodigal child who's ran from God. Maybe you're here tonight and you want to think about Jesus as the great healer and physician, but someone you love is struggling greatly. Maybe tonight you know that you're supposed to forgive because God's word says forgive, but all you can think about is what that person has done to you. You see, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Tonight I ask you, are you cold or are you hot? Or are you hard to the things of God? Tonight as he tells you to love him, are you here saying, God, I want to do right. I want to do what you want for me. Or tonight are you here saying, I just don't care. I'm going to heaven, I'm saved, I am fine. And then the second one, which I find is even harder, is where are you tonight on loving other people? I say this with as much respect as I can, but there are some days that I would move to the mountains with a cup of coffee, a running water stream, and my wife and six children. And I think that would be a wonderful way to live. Now, you might not agree with that, but I feel that way. Sometimes I can tell myself, Jake, what is the point of trying to help people that don't want to help themselves? My heart can grow cold to loving other people. Jake, what is the point of reaching out to that person? You know who they are and what they're really like. It's called growing cold. But tonight you can also grow hard and have a heart problem where you no longer care. I've been in church long enough to see people who don't like other people who will literally walk the other way when they see them coming down the aisle. I'm not talking about Fred's. I'm talking about church. <laughs> I've seen people in meetings and different things do things I never would have dreamed and said about other people. Why? Because their hearts were hard. So tonight when Jesus tells you to love him and love others, are you cold? Are you hard to him or are you willing to follow him no matter what? And the third and final thing that Jesus addresses here that you can evaluate in your life and myself is Jesus clarifies who he is. Jesus clarifies who he is. Starting in verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them. Now don't miss the significance of this. They've brought the best and brightest of the Sadducees. They've brought the best and brightest of the Pharisees. They have asked him. He has put them in their place. He has answered both of them what they wanted to hear, but with the truth. You see, the Sadducees had an opportunity to change, to repent, to turn. The Pharisees had an opportunity to repent and to return. Now Jesus becomes the one asking the questions. Saying, who do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? 
saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till till I make your enemies your footstool. Now tonight, we know that this is a reference to the Old Testament. And if you've been here on Sunday morning and we're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 8, last week in chapter 7 is when God tells David the promise that there's going to be a king who is going to come, who's going to sit upon the throne, who is going to be your dynasty forever and ever. You will worship and love him. And what Jesus is, is he asks him a simple question. He says, who do you think the Christ is? Am I just a man? Am I just another person? Or am I really who the Bible says that I was? Because look what it says here in verse 45 and verse 46. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. You see, the greatest way that you can know whether your heart is right with God or cold to God or has become hard to God is who do you say Jesus is this evening? You say, well, Jake, I've been in church long enough to know that you have to believe that he's the son of God, that he was crucified for our sins, that he rose again the third day. I believe those things. I don't believe the false teaching that he was created or that he was, was born of a real relationship that was physical or something like some of the cults do. I know what I believe about Jesus. And the question tonight is not do you know about him, but do you know him? Tonight, can you not just quote all the things about who Jesus is or do you really know him as the Lord and Savior of your life? Because, friends, I believe in Sunday school. I believe in Sunday night church. I believe in Wednesday night church. I believe in Bible study as a family and Bible study as individuals. But, friend, I am telling you, when Satan attacks you and the world overwhelms you and all of your strength begins to fail, it's not enough to know about him. You have to know him. You have to know that he really is the one who died for you, who loved you so much that he took your sin and your shame and your punishment and he willingly went to the cross knowing who you were and who you would be and the mistakes that you would have and the baggage that you would carry and the sins that you would commit, but yet he loved you anyway. It's not just a picture of a white-looking Jesus in a Sunday school room that you probably grew up to like I did. Right, there's a picture of him kneeling uh, and he's white-faced and he's, he's, he's glowing in the, in the light. No, I'm talking about a real Savior who is living, who is breathing, who sits at the right hand of the Father and makes intercession for me and for you. The one who literally walked this earth, who, who literally was used through the power of the Father to create all things who's always existed, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who doesn't talk about being a friend that sticks closer than a brother, but does stick closer to a brother. Not just the one who talks about never abandoning us, but promises to never abandon us. Not just the one who promises that he will cover us with his blood, but that he does. You see, you can want a wife. You can talk about a wife. You can have pictures of a wife. You can listen to other people talk about a wife. But you will never understand what it means to have a wife until you marry one. It's a blessing. I'm not being mean. Wives, you can want a husband. You can hear people talk about a husband. You see husbands and yet you marry them anyway. That's on you. 
But friends, it's all different until you know them. The good and the bad. And friends, you say, well, Jake, that sounds very much. How can you have a relationship with a Savior who lives in heaven, who, 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 who died and went there and is coming back again? And it's because of the Spirit of God. And friends, as Baptist churches, we have grown so cold and so distant that the idea of the Spirit of God leading us, guiding us, moving in us, directing us, convicting us, challenging us, terrifies us. Because what if he convicts me of something I don't want to give up? Or what if he asks me to do something that I really don't have time to do? Or what if he sends me to someone that I really don't want to go to? Or what if he tries to repair something that I'm not willing to let him have? Friends, tonight my question to you is, are you cold? Are you hot? Or have you hardened your heart to the things of God? Because tonight I want you to think about the power of God in your life. I want you to think about what matters the most. And I want you to think about who he is. Because tonight if you're here and you are struggling in, in these areas, be careful. Don't let your cold heart turn hard. Don't let the things that have happened to you drive you from the Savior who loves you. The Bible warns over and over again to guard your heart. The Bible warns over and over again not to harden your heart. Why? Because God knows the consequences of it. You see, friends, many times we hear people say they died of a broken heart. But I definitely believe that you can die of a hardened heart. Friends, I believe you can die spiritually, not eternally, because God puts you in the palm of his hands. But friends, you will literally live through this life without the power of God, without the privilege and pleasure that God brings to his people. And friends, there is no joy in the life of a cold or hard-hearted believer or in the church. And so tonight as we look at our own church and how you view church and how you view what God is doing in your life, you say, well, Jake, I don't like you. That's okay. You don't have to like me to go to heaven. But you've got to forgive me. Just like I've got to forgive you. You say, well, Jake, I don't agree with your sermons. I don't agree with all of them. You know why I don't agree with them? Because they come from God, and sometimes God and I disagree. I've got a way that I would like to do things, or I would like to think things, or I would like to understand things, but you know what? He's right, and I'm wrong. And so as I like to tell my kids on a regular basis, don't ask why, just obey. And in my spiritual walk, I feel like that's what God has to tell me the most. Don't ask why, just obey. And friends, tonight I just challenge you. Because when I look at our church, and I look at all that God has done for us, it amazes me. And in the same moment it can amaze me, it can terrify me. Because I look at sometimes and think, I think we've just gotten over a little bit of how good God has been to us. And my desire for the six little children that are mine sitting there, and the two Weinbauer kids that are sitting there, and Bonnie's grandson sitting there, and the Henderson sitting there, and the Morber sitting there, and uh, Randy and Jamie's got a little one sitting there, Paula's got two little ones over there, is that when they're my age, and there's little ones up in the balcony that are behaving by the way, Michelle's up there cracking the whip, just teasing, is that they don't have to say, I think we need to look for another church because I don't see the Spirit of God here at all. 
Man, I'd love to keep going here. I've went here my whole life, but there's nothing for our kids. There's nobody being saved. Nothing's going on. It is a big, empty building. And friends, that can only happen if you and I harden our hearts to the things of God and allow a coldness to set into us. You say, Jake, I don't believe it could happen here. It absolutely can. But don't miss this. It absolutely doesn't have to. My desire is that when my daughters at some point marry, as terrible as that sounds, that they marry godly young men, and if God doesn't send them to the mission field, that I could walk through the hallway, and there's one of my kids teaching first grade Sunday school. You say, I, I noticed I didn't say first and second grade because I hope we grow so much that it can't fit first and second graders in one room. And I hope I walk across the, the hallway and I look in there and there's seven of my grandkids sitting in there in the nursery. Now, I don't want to work in the nursery, but I hope they're in there. Maybe someday it's your kids that are serving as deacons. Your grandkids that are singing on the praise team. Just, just have you ever look up here? You've got... Brandon Henderson sitting over here strumming on the guitar. You, 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 have, you have the youth nights. You have all these kids up here. It, it's unbelievable. You can go out there tonight and watch joy and laughter and excitement and fun that I wish we had. Because why? They've not been hardened by the problems of this world. They've not been hurt in church. They've not been disappointed. They've not carried the burdens that most of us have experienced. And friends, one day they will. But we can show them one thing. That it does not have to destroy us. It does not have to harden our hearts. We can take a lick and keep on trusting. We can stumble and keep asking for forgiveness. We can let God work even when it's hard. And so my question to you tonight is, do you have a heart problem? And if you do, let him change it tonight. Let him change it not only for you, but the generations to come. Father, we thank you so much for your word tonight. Lord, you know that wasn't what I wanted, what I would have preached. But God, I believe that you wanted this for us. Verse by verse, word by word, through your word. Tonight I pray, God, that you would do big things. That you'd work, move in relationships. God, that you'd work and move in those that are lost. God, that you would work and move in those who have just, they've just served you so long, God, they've grown cold. But God, I especially tonight pray for those who have hardened their hearts. Because God, only you can soften it. God, only you can convict. God, only you can bring the tears back. Only you, God, can bring the joy back. Only you, God, can bring the forgiveness and hope back. Tonight, God, I ask that you'd start that in my own heart. And in this congregation, that we might give you all the praise and the glory for who you are. And I ask it all tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.